This week, we take another look at a galaxy far, far away with Ryan Johnson's 2017 The Last Jedi. And along the way, we ask one question. Why, Orion? Why? This is Force-Fed Sci-Fi. Hello, gang. Welcome back to Force-Fed Sci-Fi. My name is the angry Jedi, Sean Michael Culp. And along the way, I've got two homies with me today. Producer... Jeremy Kesky. Boom! And my other homie, the magical... I am the balanced Chris Rupp. <laughs> Rock on. Because the Force is about balance. Yeah! <laughs> Something Not- Ryan Johnson seemed to have missed the memo on. <laughs> you mean it wasn't about moving rocks? <laughs> no. <laughs> what? <laughs> I always thought it was. It wasn't just about moving rocks, you weirdo. Well, darn. So, like I said, we're going to talk about The Last Jedi and all the funness that came with that uh, movie as we continue our Star Wars suite in uh, lieu to seeing the brand new film when yes, it comes out. the Rise out. of Skywalker, which will be coming out shortly. But before we get into that, let's provide our listeners with a brief synopsis of The Last Jedi, shall we? Ba-bam! Let's yeah. do it. So immediately after the destruction of Starkiller Base in The Force Awakens, the First Order has tracked the Resistance back to their hidden base, and they are forced to flee. So following the devastation of most of their fleet, the Resistance must continue to run away while Rey has embarked on a secret mission to recruit the self-exiled Luke Skywalker to return to the fight, join his sister, and restore hope to the galaxy. So on paper, right, seems like a cool premise. Uh, Yeah, yeah, on paper. On paper, sure. Right, Jeremy? Yeah. (laughs) But execution? Maybe a bit lacking in that department. It's kind of like when the nervous kid takes his first driver's test for the first time. And he's a little, he's got the shakes. Just didn't really work out. He kind of curbed it. this wasn't his first no. driver's test. No. It was his first blockbuster, though, apparently. That's what- uh, Well, he has experience directing <laughs> a science fiction film, which we've covered before we on the covered. show with Looper. He wrote and directed that. So yeah. he isn't a stranger to having those two titles in his credits. No, he is not. So then what happened? So <laughs> with the exception of Harrison Ford, who was killed in The Force Awakens, the cast from the previous film all returned to appear once again. Yep. So we've got continuity with the actors there. And we got that new Kelly Tran. We got Kelly Marie Tran starring as Rose. And Benicio Del Toro as a DJ. DJ, the most turd. Yeah, like, that you feel like he's going gonna to hit up like a nightclub somewhere. Uh, There's DJ the Snake. <laughs> we also get uh, Lord Dern as Vice Admiral Holdo. Oh, yes. Um, Frank Oz returned to the franchise to appear as Yoda once again. Do have to say that was probably one of the best like cover-ups. Like no one knew no that one knew. he was going to come back. Yeah, I wasn't Yoda. expecting that. No either. one. Yeah, yeah. No one knew. You just see those ears and you go, "Oh, <laughs> what is that?" <laughs> well, and, also, and actually, can I add that I was happy to see that it was puppetry yes. as well and not CGI. Absolutely, it wasn't George Lucas's. Vision. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, in new, in a kind of more of a prominent role, uh, 
Jonas Suatumo took over the role of Chewbacca from Peter Mayhew, who uh, began to suffer from chronic knee and back pain. So he was unable to participate in the filming of The Last Jedi. And unfortunately, he passed away earlier this year. So mm-hmm. once again, we want to offer up our condolences to his friends and family. And uh, we are very much missing uh, the late, great Peter Mayhew. Mm-hmm. John Williams returned to do the score for The Last Jedi. Which Man. Had- Enough said about John Williams. We don't need to go into his resume. It's self-explanatory. How old is he now? He's got to be so old. It did, he's it in did. his mid-80s, and um, The Rise of Skywalker is slated to be his uh, his final Star Wars film. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> he's kind of- But well, he can only manage to do about one film a year, and- if He's he 87. Had, yeah, if he had the chance, I mean, he has the opportunity to do a Star Wars film, I mean, take it. Right. I mean, those I mean, does he even like change the sound really that much? He does. I mean, <laughs> there is in in the Battle of Crate, he does use some music from the original film, but he has done a very good job of keeping themes separate, especially in the Force Awakens. Ray's theme is very uh is very unique to the franchise. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that uh kind of angelic theme that yeah. while she's like uh spinning around by the rock, practicing with her staff and the lightsaber. Yeah, he does. Yeah. A, he he does a great job of introducing new themes in in each film. He's the man. I wonder how much money he makes. Probably millions. He probably enough going back to his days um, when he did the Gilligan's Island theme song and he was credited as Johnny Williams. Wait, he did Gilligan's Island? Uh, yeah. <laughs> My God. Yeah, that's that was John Williams. That was one of his first jobs. Force-fed sci-fi here with some uh, facts for trivia. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so let's jump into this bad boy. Yeah, so Ryan Johnson was announced as a director of The Last Jedi in August of 2014. Mm-hmm. And he actually worked closely with J.J. Abrams to ensure a smooth transition between The Force Awakens and this film, which J.J. also served as a producer of this film as well. See, but that's my question. What did he do as a producer? <laughs> because he's a producer, but I, I I believe I read that Ryan didn't take anything that J.J. gave him. Most, most JJ of the times a producer, when they get a credit, is mostly a no-show job. Right, especially like executive producers, mm-hmm. like you see it all the time. Like, oh, Catherine Bigelow is the executive producer. Most of the time, the executive producers are on are not on set. What do they do? Yeah, they're basically there to make sure that you know it, it comes in. You know, <laughs> it's under budget and on time. That yeah. is their primary job. Show me the numbers. Give me the numbers. That's like his job. Which, I mean, I wish. I think this film lacks, surprisingly I'm saying this, it lacks some J.J. elements because <laughs> I think he wrote treatments for eight and nine because he had that whole, the trilogy planned out when he wrote seven. Yes. And we forgot to mention this in our last week's uh, episode, which I, I don't know how I forgot, but apparently J.J. only had six months to write The Force Awakens. So what he did in hindsight, thinking of what we got with The Force Awakens in six months, it kind of sheds a different perspective, at least to me. You know, it kind of makes sense. Why? Yeah, Every- I, I think that's pretty impressive. Right? Only six months, and it was uh, for six months. That was a decently, that was a quality film. I agree. Well, there <laughs> seems to be post-production issues with every single one of these films. Yeah. I mean, the Force Awakens had their issues. I mean, pre-production with the screenwriters. Rogue One had issues where they had to uh, reshoot several of the scenes uh, near the end. Um, Solo, I mean, that that production cycle, pretty much the entire film was reshot. This film, no exception either, because a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff happened, because Colin Trevorrow was slated to direct episode nine, Mm -hmm. but he was fired, Mm -hmm. or he left the project, but it was Hollywood speak for being fired, 
there were many reports that he was difficult to work with and I think he just got too full of himself after directing Jurassic World. I don't know. See, I feel see you take that road. I take the Disney as corporation more like obey and give us what we want. Kathleen Kennedy rules and Trevorrow was like, No, I'm gonna make a film because if you read reviews, he didn't want Palpatine in. Like apparently Mark Hamill totally agreed, Daisy Ridley and everyone was on par with what Trevorrow wanted to do for characters and arcs. And I guess Disney was like, Nope. You're, we're not, it's kind of like on the solo, the directors, they were like, no, we're doing our own film. This is what we believe. And Disney was like, no, you're doing what we say or else you leave. I still enjoy the final product of solo. I, I wish the you film do. had done, had done better. Oh, okay. I didn't know that you did. I thought you trashed it. I watched it recently and I, I have to say it's a lot better than people give it credit for. Amen to that. Um, I've seen budget estimates for The Last Jedi range anywhere from 200 to $317 million. So it's 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 a massive, massive budget. Did How how did you feel about the marketing with this? Because I, I feel like it wasn't as grandiose as The Force Awakens. No, and I'll agree to that. But uh, again, this is something, with Star Wars and, some, and other franchises like this, you already have a built-in audience. And when you set the precedent like they did with the force awakens there's really no need to go all in on a massive marketing budget once again right yeah they didn't have to convince people to come in because <laughs> they already made two billion off of the other one well you could tell where the budget went because it looks great it's amazing yeah he he used real sets i mean cow-like alien creatures <laughs> with green milk filming taking place in ireland england croatia and bolivia is um there's a massive salt flat in bolivia that's where they shot the final battle scene and apparently the island that luke like his whole scene all mark hamill scenes were on it was like a you can't travel there it's not like a touristy no, place you need a, i believe you need a special permit to go there so they lucked out apparently on that yeah those sites were pretty impressive i i will agree with the guys there it was beautiful yeah as far as I can tell, Disney was committed to this two-year production cycle with the main series of films. I mean, along with the planned standalone films in between the release of uh, The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi with Rogue One, that was in 2016, which we will get to at some point on the show. That's a, I think that's too good of a movie to leave off. So let's get into the meat and potatoes of this, shall we? Meat and potatoes. So the first thing that we saw, you know, when this film was being broadcasted was we heard that awesome word subversion. It subverted our, uh, our expectations. What did you think of the subversions or as I call the unpredictability of this film? It was more like unpredictable. Some of it was for me, at least it was welcomed, mm -hmm. but this is a thing that and we can also get to this later in the show, but I think a lot of it was too much too fast. Too much, too fast. Well, especially in the very beginning of the film where Luke is faced with this choice of do I train Ray or do I just, you know, continue to mope and pout and regret everything. And instead he just throws the lightsaber over the side like, uh, what? dude, like that's the family heirloom. I know, that's your dad. That's like turning the family Bible into a coloring book. Your hand was attached to this the last time you saw it. Like, what the heck? I man? just wanted her to hold up the lightsaber and him to say, like, did you happen to find a hand attached to it? <laughs> no. That would have been amazing. There was a amazing. hand. pretty important that you find the hand. <laughs> I've been missing it for such a long time. <laughs> 
I mean, the robot hand works fine, but it's, I, it does. <laughs> it looks a little. It looks a little weird to me, though. The robot hand. It's movie magic. It is movie magic. I don't know. I thought it looked okay. What What did you guys think of uh, the idea of Luke cutting himself off from the Force? I find it hard to believe, at least in my opinion, a Jedi cutting himself off from the Force because I feel like that's what a Jedi is. Yes, it's like thinking uh, like religion because I view like Jedi like the Force is religion, but it's like um like a priest or the Pope. After like sixty years, being like, you know what? Screw this! I'm out of here. It just I'm gonna walk out my balcony with my pope hat and give some blessings and go back to sleep. Right? It just doesn't make sense. Like after that long of time and having your own temple and people to just cut yourself off. And to me, I feel like it was more he was all talk because you saw it. It's a choice he's made because I think he feels that having nothing to do with the force is better than. Being one with the Force. I viewed him as a coward. In a lot of ways, he is. I mean, he... And it takes Yoda showing up from the great beyond to tell him, like, you know, it's okay to fail. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, what's what's more important is that you learn from your failure. Yes. Which is something that Yoda was telling him even back in The Empire Strikes Back. Like, you, you still have much to learn. Well, I guess that's what, like, I guess this week in the movie I'd like to see is those 30 years that we missed out with Luke. Like, how did, what type of Jedi was he then? Was he so arrogant where he thought he could never fail, he'd do no wrong? Like, how much success did he have in 30 years where he didn't think that he would ever fail? Or, like, lose after one failure, be like, oh, it's over, I'm out of here, you know? Be like, I'm done. Well, prior to that, you he know? had succeeded in... Most of his endeavors with the the rebellion, I mean, he right? accidentally blew up the Death Star, and I say accidentally because, I mean, it was, even he wasn't expecting those torpedoes to go into that exhaust port there. <laughs> I know, he's uh, just hearing old man uh, Obi-Wan whisper in his ear. I mean, he, he went toe-to-toe with Darth Vader with, with little to no Jedi training. Yeah. I mean, granted, I mean, he did suffer a defeat, but that really didn't get him down. And then in Return of the Jedi, he's able to turn his father back to the light and yeah. and save the galaxy. He's the ace. So th- there's for him, there's no reason to think that he'd fail at training the new generation of Jedi mm-hmm. heading into this. Well, he failed in Empire. Remember with like him trying to raise his X-Wing out? Yeah. And he was like super negative in that where he's like, it's not even worth it, you know? You, yeah. you want the impossible, I think is what he tells Yoda. Yeah, he does, but then Yoda does it and- and, and, and like that is why you fail. Mm-hmm. And again, it's harking back to this lesson of Yoda's been telling him, like it's okay to fail for years, mm-hmm. and he still doesn't get it. That's see, that was the thin plot for me, where I was like, really, <laughs> he's still struggling with the old uh, failure thing, which I guess a lot of people do still struggle with that. So I guess I was expecting, you know, Luke Skywalker. Being, I mean, I, he is more powerful as we'll mm-hmm. we'll talk about, but I don't know. I guess flawless, but obviously there is a flaw. So, and actually, as you were talking, I guess I I could I could see that being an interesting character arc, and and maybe for the past thirty years he does struggle with that, like you were saying, mm-hmm. Sean. Maybe I think it, it was it might have been a misstep for because you always said that the the immediacy of this film 
continuing right after The Force Awakens is the shortcomings of it. Because we don't get to see so much of the characters, like with Han Solo, Leia, and like that buildup, you know, we're kind of thrust into it. And when I was watching this, I would have liked to see more so of Luke in that apex, you know, I'm the ace, and then seeing more so of him failing with raising Kylo because it would have given more perspective of why he feels the way he does. It would have been more grounded as a film. You kind of would have, as a fan, we could have understood his intentions more so than just being shocked. Like, what? What's going on, you know? Right. What made the original films work so well was that period of time that took place in between the films. Looking at A New Hope to Empire, for example, there's a solid two or three years of story that happens that we don't see in the film. Luke becomes the leader of Rogue Squadron. Han, you know, is more like this this weird blend of fugitive and military leader. That's right. Leia becomes like really more independent and on her own within this military structure. Mark Hamill gets plastic surgery. <laughs> well, Mark Hamill was in a car accident. That's <laughs> what, why what, he's got what? the scar on his face. Um, but we don't get that in The Last Jedi. I mean, this it really feels like a continuation of The Force Awakens. And what I thought would have been more of a strength of this film is if Ryan Johnson didn't put so much pressure on himself to do an immediate sequel to The Force Awakens. Whereas The Force Awakens ends the same way with Rey appearing before Luke. And then The Last Jedi picks up maybe two or three years down the road again where Luke is begrudgingly training Rey and she is becoming stronger in The Force. Mm -hmm. And... Luke, you know, could still be this old crusty, yeah. you know, you know, dour mentor, but it, and it would have, and we would have gotten the sense of there's been growth in between this time period. Yeah, because Yoda what didn't want to train Luke. He was pretty dour when Luke met him in Empire, but you just we saw the transition of him seeing uh, the Force and the potential in Luke Skywalker, and I think that lacked in this film. The majority, actually the whole time that Ray was on the island with Luke Skywalker, he didn't want anything to do with her. And I think that's why the payoff at the end of him dying and force casting him across the world, you know, to the other planet, it just, it's not such a, a satisfactory arc, you know, as it could have been if he would have transitioned. I really wish, because when I was watching it, when she holds out the lightsaber again, the second time when it's raining, I wish he would have grabbed it because... That would have been a more satisfactory arc. But the fact that it takes Yoda, it made me wonder if Ryan Johnson used Yoda as a nostalgia trip or as like a storytelling. Because storytelling to me, it just wasn't as satisfactory. It took too long. I think it was a storytelling aspect because there aren't, think about it, there's no one left for Luke to listen to yeah. in the Force. The only one who is left is Yoda. Mm -hmm. I mean, his father hasn't shown up to force communicate with him, and they can't. Neither is Obi Wan for a long time. It seems like Yoda's the only one who yeah. he'll listen to. Well, they wouldn't have like you know the Conads to conjure up Alec Guinness's CGI. No, I think they would you have know. brought uh, Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor, yeah. Which well, thankfully but, he's finally getting his own show on Disney Plus. But Luke wouldn't have recognized him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> what? <You're>, what? <laughs> or Hayden Christian? Okay, in the in the end of the 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 Lucas cut, 
of Return of the Jedi where you see Yoda and Alec Guinness show up and then all of a sudden, I'm Hayden Christensen. <laughs> they should have actually had Hayden missing his arms and legs because that would have been the true Jedi What form. happened to you, Dad? Ask Obi-Wan. <laughs> yeah. Well, more so to your point about the character arcs, I felt the majority of them, probably about 90, 95% of them, felt incomplete at the end of the film. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, hyping back to um, the unpredictabilities of this film, I was really surprised at how many new characters Ryan Johnson introduced into this film. We already, we just got some new characters in The Force Awakens. Let's follow their story a little bit more. But no, we were, we're getting off the top of my head. Four or five new characters yeah. that have major speaking roles or they have their, their roles are amplified from the previous films. It's so dense. I mean, and I hate, so much. And I hate harking back to the original film so much, but I mean, you can introduce new characters, but you don't have to throw four or five of us at once. You can throw in a Lando Calrissian. You can throw in, you know, uh, a rebel pilot. You can throw in two or three as long as well, they're interesting and compelling enough. That is the thing, and I that's where I feel like these sequels suffer because the first film they did all the heavy lifting with the major guys, but then as you see the series progress, Lando was pretty much the bit, Lando and Yoda. And then in the third film, it's like we finally get to see Jabba the Hutt, you know, before Lucas. A Robert the Jabba da. Yeah. I mean, he really. He's, they're just. <laughs> All I can imagine is the tongue going back and forth. When he totally dove into Jim Henson territory. But these films are so packed full of these new characters. It's really hard to revel well, in the ones the we found. Well, the new characters aren't given a complete arc. Rose spends the last 30 minutes of the film unconscious. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, the faults of the character aren't on Kelly Marie Tran. They're just not. I, I, I have to pin that on Ryan Johnson. Mm. I think he, he introduced too many new characters to really flesh them out. And it's almost like she suffers from over-characterization. Well, he wrote her character specifically because... I, have you seen the documentary, the behind the scenes, the Jedi and the director? He said he only wrote her character because he figured... He, he thought she was a chick that he would like to date in high school. Poop you not. Those are his words. He wrote her character because he's like, that would be someone I would like to date in high school. I'm like, are you kidding me? You wrote her character like that? Because and you've already done brick. You don't need to show us this. And it's just, I feel like the problem is, I don't know. It felt like a lot of pretty much all of the female characters in this film were super virtuous. Rose, I guess. I, I forget her name. She's like all, you know, the whole casino trip and I hate the animals getting whipped and let's free them and love is going to save us all and all. I'm going to zap you because you're deserting. It's it, it just felt too hokey for me. Like so Holdo sacrificing herself to save the fleet. It didn't feel like an arc. It just felt like another extension of her character because it just seems like something very natural that that would be something she would do. Yeah, on the weekends, she just rams the shuttle. Which, I will admit, that's one of the best shots in the film is when it slams into the flagship and it's all quiet. So it's just, I, I have to share this story. I went to see this uh, with my wife, my dad, my stepmom. And so it, it gets really quiet, like you said. And my dad is into movies, and so am I. He passed that along to me. 
and he he's so into movies that when right when the ship was about to you know blast off into hyperspace, he it gets really quiet and then he goes. <laughs> really? And the whole theater could hear it because it's complete silence in the film. Yes. So it was just. Uh, Your it's dad a, narrates films. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Marty does, man. He's the man. It was a bit embarrassing, but it was also funny at the same time. We're we're all cracking. We were all cracking up at him. I don't mind it during a movie. It's it, uh, stage plays, however, when someone narrates it, it's just like shut up. So I do it. No, my, no, I, I have to share this story because my, my girlfriend and I we recently saw the Chicago Shakespeare Theater did a production of the King's Speech, and it, and it's it's at Navy Pier, so and it has this this accurate you know, Shakespeare Theater, and they were doing the stage production. There's somebody behind us narrating the historical context for his date. Uh, we were getting so mad. And here's the thing with the Shakespeare Theater. Those seats are 80 bucks a pop. Ooh. You spend $160 to narrate the play for your dits of a girlfriend. Good God. If, if, you, if you have to explain what's happening, you shouldn't be there. Oh, yes? Do you turn your nose up to those people, Chris? I'm sorry. There's a place in time to offer up historical context <laughs> for a film like The King's Speech. or the They did like a that. movie about wait, it. Wait until, inter- wait until the intermission to discuss like all that's going on. I know. If you... Jesus Christ. Is that There's still a... there? Completely unrelated. It, it is not still there. Oh, so, right. We saw it the last weekend. Oh, okay. I was thinking the same, Jeremy. I'm like, maybe I'll take my girlfriend to Yeah, that I wouldn't movie. have minded to see that. No, it, it was amazing. <laughs> but- Piggybacking on that, the the ship ramming. Thanks, uh, Johnson, for ruining hyperspace. <laughs> I always thought they jumped into like a different dimension or something. No, that's how that but works. But apparently, it's like they just go super, super fast. Yes, that's hyperspeed. No, hyperspace, light speed. No, I thought they just jumped they, into hi- a wormhole. Or make the jump to then light. Why we'll did make they the make jump it to look light like speed. a wormhole? Because that's a filmmaking thing. Yeah, yeah. That's filmmaking. It's, it's just going super fast. Man. Yeah, that's what it is. Maybe it needs to go super fast to get into the wormhole. To, into the wormhole? Oh, that's what it is. Don't pander to him. Yeah, thanks. Oh, yeah, and also thanks for he, the fuel plot, man. Don't, don't, Not don't pa- seven freaking films and we don't have no fuel. Yeah, don't pander to him. He had the last film to get all that. Uh, whatever. I have well, whatever. Most of the characters, <laughs> I would say most or almost all of them, Compared to the arcs that they got in The Force Awakens, it's just, it's, it's almost like yeah. bouncing right back to the beginning and just yes. not continuing the growth I know. that they had in the first movie. Ray still doesn't know who her parents are or her place. She kind of, she grows in the Force a little bit. I guess. Where now she's she able to move. lift rocks yeah. and all that. She actually, she finally has an understanding of what the Force is. Kind of. Kind of. I mean, and it took Luke smacking her in the hand with that leaf or whatever. To understand. Which I did I did think that was funny. It's like, oh, I feel that, something. That was funny. And that was a good scene. I did appreciate some of the humor. Like, it, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned that part. And then uh, the very beginning where Poe is uh, uh, on hold for uh, general hugs. Starting off the film with a mom joke, yeah, there is a t- time and a place to start your film off like that, but it is not a Star Wars okay, film. Okay, I'll, I'll agree with you on the mom joke, but you know him him kind of playing with General Hux. Hey, hi, I'm holding for General Hux. Uh, okay, I'll hold. <laughs> it's a message from his mother. <laughs> I was like, well, 
I know what this is now. Kylo Ren is still an evil jerk. It and doesn't now, grow at all. And at the end of this, all all that's really changed is he suffered two major defeats. Except this one is rather public and in front of his troops. He's a whiny crybaby. Yeah. General Hux becomes nothing more than a punching bag for Snoke and Ren. I didn't even think it was possible to lose his characterization. He becomes yeah. even more of a mustache twirling villain. Ha ha ha. I did appreciate the the attempt of developing a relationship between Ray and Kylo. Um almost, you know, Ray having sympathy for him. But in this you definitely got uh that really good scene where they touch hands and then I love that scene where Luke's just like, No, and then like the whole thing explodes. It was like he was a he was a camp counselor for a church retreat. And he saw the two kids about to hold hands. He's just like, Stop it Jesus sees what you're doing <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, but the arc ended up being like a flaw, you know? Well, that nothing happened. Well, especially I think Finn. Finn's arc should have ended with him driving the skiff into that mini Death Star. Completely agree with that. I, everyone, we all thought that that would, because his character, it starts out with him trying to abandon, desert, and I thought that would have been an interesting choice, to like having him actually leave, but no, he ends up going on that journey, and then does he get to die? It was so sad. I wanted to die by crashing into that mini Death Star. <laughs> and then that weird woman flew in and bumped me and tried to save me. <laughs> and then she kissed me. That was unwanted. Because it was my first kiss. So I dragged her unconscious butt <laughs> oh over a mile back to our base in under five minutes. Which in, in and of itself is nothing short of a miracle. Thank you, Morgan Freeman. Yes, again, thanks for stopping by. You're welcome. Wow, that was weird that Morgan Freeman showed up. Well, also, I mean, even the newer characters, DJ, is yeah. still a complete turd. He's like a snake. He's literally a snake. Yeah. Like, the entire, and they don't pick up on it. And then he dies. He dies He's in the movie for all of, like, about maybe not even 20 minutes of screen time. He dies? I'm going to assume that he dies. Yeah, and the explosion. I'm, I'm guessing he's not going to be back. I wish he would be back. His character was kind of intriguing. We didn't see it, though, so I... I don't think he's going to be back. He's not listed on the cast sheet for Yeah, I doubt it, too. Walker. No. Yeah. But, so I read somewhere a while ago um, that that was actually supposed to be Lando. Ah, that would have been intriguing. Because, you know, Lando was once like Han Solo mm -hmm. and trying to just make money and- but to have Lando turn them over to the First Order and betray them. Right. So that's 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 like that's a regression for Lando's character. Well, that's why they switched it because fans were not happy about that choice. Come on. All right, that would have been intriguing. It would have been, been intriguing, a... but it would have made sense to do that to Lando because he had already had that moment in the Empire Strikes Back and then turn around and save them and help them out and became an important part of the rebellion. Yeah. You, you would have just undone all that work from the original trilogy. That's true. And it doesn't make sense. I mean, Maybe he wanted some of that sweet princess. Uh... I can't imagine Billy D. Williams as like the, the bad guy. <laughs> the man is as cool as the other side of the pillow. I mean, he is. The, he is. Why would you turn Billy D. Williams into a hateful, hateful person? He just shows up like, "Hey, where's my buddy Han?" Yeah, his DJ just seemed. He was just one of those gotcha moments. I wish they would have just gone instead of getting arrested. Actually, met the guy at the table gambling. Mm -hmm. Like it would have just been so much more of an intriguing story than. Having him, in yeah, there. he was cool. Benicio del Toro did a great job, but it just felt so. The whole purpose I felt like of him being there was just to turn them over, 
just another, we suck, we fail, we made a bad choice. Like I think it, they should have kept it simple and just had them meet that guy because now there's another unpredictable thing that, that happens in the film. Yeah. And that's the problem with the subversion. It's like initially it's intriguing, but once you get to the eighth, ninth, tenth time where Ryan Johnson just slaps you in the face, it's like, all right, I'm just annoyed now. And I think that's what alienated a lot of Star Wars fans. Well, it's not it's not just that. It's just these themes that he, these just disjointed themes that he has throughout the film of anti-war, uh pro-feminism, this disdain for wealth and uh, wealth and opulence. These are all themes that he has touched on before in previous films. Mm-hmm. And in this case, in the last Jedi, he is just hammering us over the head with these themes. And not that those are bad themes, but No, absolutely not. It's just, but it's he's cramming the movie with them. Yeah. Yeah, and and then I think and we talked about this off air, one of the themes that he really should have leaned into and made the crux of the film is this theme of regret. Yeah. That's a nice theme. Everybody in this film has regrets at some for something. Mm-hmm. I mean, Luke is regretting how he handled the situation with with Ben Solo and his training, Leia doesn't. Re- does we don't get any sense of regret from her until the very end of the film when Luke shows up. Yeah. Um, Kylo, by all accounts, like doesn't have any regrets. Maybe like some inner conflict about killing his father and the possibility of killing his mother. Like they could have played into that a little bit more. It would have definitely made them feel more, more dimensional as a character instead of like these cartoon people because of Luke the whole film he's just like this angry bitter man i wish instead of like spending the first 20 minutes of oh what happened to kylo did he try to kill you or not you know whose perspective it should have just been regret and then her trying to convince him you're not a screw up that would have been more powerful to see luke regain the hope and become that hopeful person well, that he, he once did was. In the end, but then he dies. To, yeah. So he's the only one who gets sort of a complete arc in kind some of, ways. Kind of. Kind of. It's force projecting himself it's one across of the, the universe and then dying alone on a rock. It's one of those things where his arc had gas, but then it coasted into town on fumes. Yep. So what do you think about that uh Jedi ability, by the way? Is this too far fetched or is it I think Sean might have some thoughts on that. <laughs> I mean, force projecting across the entire universe. Come on, man. I feel like that just served the sole purpose of the gotcha moment. He's not here. Because when would you use that ever? Like, oh, we're not here. Psych. You know, maybe to trap him. But that's not the Jedi way. So that was just another gotcha moment. Oh, the sand, the salt doesn't move. It's not red. Who are you picking up? It's a Ryan Johnson trick. So come on, man. Yeah. For those of you listening, if you go back and watch, I actually didn't catch this the first two times I watched the film, but uh, you see Kylo's foot, and he leaves a print on the salt on the ground, and you then it's a close-up on uh, Luke's feet, and he's not making a print on the ground. No. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Jedi power. Jedi power. Just come on, man. Stop embodying the spectacle just tell us a film (laughs) it's okay yeah i think he tried to do too much you know and i i i appreciate him trying to do a few things different but he almost kind of wanted to mix that with nostalgia and i think those mix those two mixed together didn't really 
bring us a great film. It's hard because like trying to inject new ideas into a universe that has been dissected for 40 years is just so tough. It's really hard to change the rules because something that's this complex, it's not even that complex of a universe. It's pretty simple with the rules. But once you start adding uh, fuel, hyperspace, you know, force projecting yourself, the force is nothing, surprise, anyone can do it. It's It really, I can see why a lot of people are pissed off, you know? It's like, what? For 30 years of this, now you're telling me it doesn't matter, it's irrelevant? I'd be ticked. It's like being told that G-Buzz isn't real after like 70 years of believing, you know? Personally, I don't think this movie is as terrible as we're talking about it. I mean, I mean, we were talking briefly, and we've all had something in this film that we enjoyed mm-hmm. watching. For me in particular, I loved the battle on Crate. Mm-hmm. I thought that it was definitely uh, like uh, reminiscent of the battle scenes that we got in the original and even in the prequel trilogy. They didn't feel like we got any sort of grand battle like in The Force Awakens. We got them, th- these cuts in between, you know, Ray and Finn and Han and Chewie, and then Poe and the X-Wing squadron trying to blow up uh, Starkiller Base. I mean, it, I mean, really, it's the same mission, but it's not any sort of grand battle. No. And, I, I, and the visuals of the Red Salt, I thought, were impressive. Mm-hmm. And it's, just, it's, it's a lot, it just reminded me a lot of, like, a classic World War II dogfight. Okay. Where you have all these skiffs that are going in to face down the enemy ships and you have the forces on the ground who are fighting. And plus, I just love it when the Millennium Falcon swoops in, saves the day, and the original (laughs) music from A New Hope kicks in. I I love that scene. So I sort of agree with you, but where was the battle? There wasn't really a battle. It was just, the. I mean, the... The climax was Luke's projection showing up. I know. That was the only down. Like, where was the battle? Like, did you miss, like, all the TIE fighters that were shooting and the laser blasts and the explosions and people dying? I get what Jeremy's saying, because in in Empire, the snow battle, that scene, the whole battle is, like, 10 to 15 minutes long. This is, like, five minutes. It's, like, super quick. And the whole point of the battle was to get Finn to maybe sacrifice himself to lead to Rose saying, love is all that matters to get to Luke well, walking and, in. And it unfortunately, just, it that's felt been... so inconsequential to what actually happens at the end that you you don't learn anything. Well, unfortunately, that's been a failure of this series is to create those drawn out sequences. Yeah. That don't mean anything. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, come on. I mean, there's no time to have any emotional weight attached to the scene because they're all they're all five minutes long. I know it's too much. They they well, except the opening battle. Even the opening of Saving Private Ryan was like a half hour long. Like, come on, give us give yeah. us something like that. But you're gonna take five minutes to show a slow motion remote control drop. I mean, it's just like, come on. Well, that was just my highlight, guys. No, I mean, no, that's w- fair. I don't mean to dog you. I don't mean it. it sounds it, like it. It's aesthetically. Ple- I mean, this film is beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah, and I was gonna say. Uh, I my favorite parts. I know Sean sort of disagrees with, you know. I love the uh, uh, part where Yoda shows up, um, and, and you mentioned it's kind of nostalgic. Uh, I I actually appreciated that. Maybe it's just because you know I'm one of those fans that wants to see that. But uh, you know, you get Yoda yelling at Luke and hitting him, try like 
being in a stick and that's very reminiscent of empire strikes back and i i, I appreciated that callback and then i know you don't like the slow motion part in the in the beginning with the bombs dropping but i actually you know you chris you said you enjoyed the the battle scene on crate i actually enjoyed the the opening battle scene i thought that was pretty cool so huh. Well, there you go. Page turners. <laughs> they were not. <laughs> I know. Just like, oh, Yoda's got jokes. I know. That's what. <laughs> oh, read them, have you? Like, all right. Maybe it's like a. Fine. Con- you guys can make fun of him. No, not no. make fun of it at it's all. Just, no, 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 no. I think, the, I think just, Yoda. I always felt that Yoda was just being douchebag, silly Yoda in Empire to like test Luke. He and was. then like real Yoda was like the serious, like. You will be. You will be. Like, that was real Yoda. And I just felt like Ryan was being silly Yoda because it's I'll be your Disney. backpack coach. Let's run through the swamp. Yeah. Why can't, I, why can't Yoda be serious and funny at the same time? Because I feel like- You mean like Because how, we had two films where he was serious for Aiden Wait, do you, it, wait, do you mean like how Hayden Christensen acts, quote unquote? God, that was terrible. No. We're but not, I recently I, watched I, Revenge of the Sith, and I just found myself cringing yeah. the entire time, because the dialogue is so awful. We're not talking about those films. Well, we'll, we'll get to <laughs> that. Oh, they're coming. But <laughs> We're saving them. But speaking of uh, enjoyable, I actually, not to like poop on the whole film, but I did enjoy the moments with Mark Hamill, kind of like in Force Awakens with Harrison Ford. Though They were so great because you get to have like another kind of adventure with Luke. And he was always my favorite character in uh, the original. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to see him, despite being a grumpy old man. Well, and it makes sense why he asks where Han is. He's closed himself off from the Force and he doesn't know what's happened. But they actually cut a scene where he actually cries. And it's like, uh, I don't understand why Ryan cut, <sighs> but whatever. Well, it, uh, it just reinforces the f- the fact that he has closed himself off. He doesn't, Yes, he has no connection to the Force anymore. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know. But those scenes were good. Same thing with Kylo and uh, Daisy. Good actors. They did a great job. It made me kind, maybe feel a little bit. I was intrigued at those moments. Oh, what's going to happen? Well. The backlash wasn't limited to The Force Awakens. They have a brand new, fresh edition of this week in Toxic Fandom. <laughs> so I actually found a great article on Vox.com written by Emily Todd Vanderwerf. Mm-hmm. And this is, it is a fantastic read. I recommend people reading it. And there were the initial backlash against The Force Awakens was pretty strong. And by all accounts, it was mostly coming from fans. So there was a lot of. Users leaving negative ratings on Rotten Tomatoes, and again, that's a it's a flawed system that they have on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, really, anybody with an email address can leave a review. Oh, I think that's like on IMDb too, or any of those. I think I think to leave a review like that, you have to become, I think, a registered user because because mm-hmm. you can leave your own personal score, mm-hmm. and it doesn't factor into like the overall audience score. I at least I believe that's how that works. Um, but, I mean, audiences and critics are always divided on blockbusters. It, oh, it's very rare that a, a blockbuster is universally loved by critics and fans alike. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, the if you do take a deep dive into the scores, at least the Metacritic and IMDb score, they're actually within the same ballpark as what we got with The Force Awakens. But it's hard to pinpoint the controversy on just one thing. Yeah. So a lot of it's been linked to too much progressivism. There was too many jokes, which again, we understand. Like there's a time and place to have jokes like that. 
and not all of them need to be in a Star Wars film. I feel I just chalked it up to Disney trying to be like Marvel. Yeah, the movie and it seemed like the movie wasn't interested in fan theories, but again, the studios aren't interested in those. Like in reality, the studio doesn't owe fans anything. Yeah. Um. Uh. There was also individual plot lines and moments that weren't making too much sense which we've talked about and characters unexpected or unfinished journeys which we've also talked about i mean i mean personally i can't understand what the gripe is considering that how beloved the force awakens was Mm -hmm. within the fan base and for the last jedi to be received like this i think you just listed off all the gripe it's it's clear (laughs) but i i enjoyed this movie i did oh okay Uh, to be clear Disney and Lucasfilm are free to do whatever they want with the franchise. They own it. Yeah. It, it's their property. They don't owe the fans anything. Yeah. And they got their pandering. The fans got their pandering in The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. And then got all up in arms about The Last Jedi because of all those reasons listed above. Mm-hmm. And for me personally, I just think you can't have it both ways. You can't expect to be pandered to all the time and then be all hateful and mad when a film tries to do something different in your series. Oh, man. See, I thought fans hated... A lot of fans hated The Force Awakens, too. Because it was just so, like, thin. It was a thinly... It was a piece of poop wrapped in Mickey Mouse ears and lightsabers with a thin veil. So my criticism of Force Awakens was uh, that it was just a regurgitation of A New Hope. Um, That was my initial criticism, I should say. But uh, in... Subsequent viewings, I actually did appreciate The Force Awakens more. Um, you hit it right on the nail, Chris. Uh, it's they didn't service the fans, and that's that's why the fans had this big uproar about The Last Jedi. Mm. See, I thought it was just that it wasn't a good film. Like pacing was terrible. Uh, development of characters was lousy. There was no arcs. There was, I mean, you just have moments where they would go from super serious to like comic and you would just be like, wait, what? What is going on? How am I supposed to feel? Um, There was no trajectory. There was like 45 minutes of like horrible plot hole. It was an endless beat over the head of themes of we fail and we suck. And there's some reviews on YouTube where they're like, I feel like this film's a comedy because what the choices these characters make are so idiotic like you you question their mental capacities because it's like people should not be this stupid for making these short like parking on a beach and all that i think if you and, watch the force awakens and the last jedi almost as one film like it it, it, it makes sense almost <laughs> i disagree it's like two different films right? like the characters go from kind of being intriguing being set up for something big to like being nothing nothing is happening and nothing goes on except I'm going to disembowel everything Star Wars and beat you over the head that you're that they're going to fail and that we have to let the past die. It just felt like Ryan Johnson was trolling everyone. Well, and and your concerns, your criticisms are legitimate. Yeah. I will say that. I mean, I can easily see why anybody would think that. But when you when you disguise it in this whole realm of being a Star Wars fan like, "Oh, this isn't a Star Wars film and blah 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 mm-hmm. blah." It's like Okay, but why do you think it isn't a Star Wars film? Not that anybody's going to care. Mm-hmm. Not that anyone at Disney or Lucasfilm is going to care, but w- w- why? You can't just say it's not a Star Wars film. Right. It's like, it, 
I feel like people enjoyed the simplistic plots of like the force and just like telling a story of characters, the good and evil, and not trying to bog it down with like all these, like the elements of like Mary Sue, like Ray not knowing who she is, but never making a bad decision. Like she's never made a bad choice. Or until this to- film where she decided to land on Snoke's ship, like I can turn Kylo Ren, like. And that oh, wasn't can, even, a, and that wasn't even a bad choice because Kylo ends up being knocked out. Like she gets away scot clean and saves her friends. Like she never makes a bad decision. And I think like fans, it's not like it's not a Star Wars or nostalgic. They're just like she's so unbelievable as a character. Like you're telling me that this person is able to like figure out what the Force is, do all these different feats, be so successful, and never make a wrong move ever. And her only crux is she doesn't know her purpose or her parents is. And it's like, you've done so much. You're going to give me this BS. It's just, it's so unbelievable that it's lousy writing. And I think that's the big problem. It's lousy writing. Well, what's worse is the fans directed much of their criticism and ire towards Kelly Marie Tran. And it's not her fault. It's not her it's fault. Not. 100% it is not her fault. Her acting wasn't amazing. I'm, I'm not, because when I watch it, I'm like, ooh, but it's just not, as bad as Carrie Fisher. It's not a criticism on her as an actor. It's a no. criticism of her character, yes. which is separate from her as a human being. Yeah, It's not her fault that she played a poorly written character that's almost suffering from too much characterization and odd choices. Like I said, it is 100% not her fault. Oh. And for fans to attack her like they did. I mean, That's people cool. wonder why Star Wars is the most toxic fan base out there. It's because of stuff like this and mm-hmm. just the year before forcing Daisy Ridley to get off of social media, Kelly Marie Tran had to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's I really do think that the Star Wars fan base needs to reevaluate themselves and how they critique things that are happening within their universe cuz I agree. It, it, this is this is my rant about this, but it's it's fan entitlement syndrome. Again, the studios and the filmmakers don't owe the fans anything. They really don't. It's 100% their decisions, what they do with the films and the actors they cast and the stories they choose to put on film. Mm-hmm. If you don't like it, that's fine. But you can't say that, like, oh, th- like, uh, uh, like, as a fan, I don't like it. Yeah. If that's the only thing you have to say is, I don't like it, without saying well, anything legitimate about it, like... It's okay. It's like, well, why don't you like it? Mm -hmm. You can't just say you don't like it. Please provide some reasons. I think they did with like all those reasons that you listed before. But when it's all, (laughs) but when it's directed at a young woman, yeah, who's who's doing that wasn't who's working hard in -hmm. her first major film role. Yeah, it's undeserved. It was, and she did not deserve that criticism. And I think that's just, it sucks because it's been around for so long. Yeah. And that, that is the problem with this franchise because it's been 40 years. Well, when you read- You have adults. She wrote an editorial, I think, that appeared in The New Yorker about how all this criticism affected her, her mental health. Oh, yeah. And it, it was it was heartbreaking to read it. And I think people who said all those horrible things about them, about her- Mm-hmm. Should really reevaluate those decisions, and uh, I mean, I would hope to f- that they feel some shame about it. Well, Johnson released something about it. Uh, he said, "The last Jedi made him more thick skinned because he's, I guess, apparently as a director before the last Jedi, he always wanted to appease people. And on Twitter, if he ever read a negative review, he would get super self conscious. But after having such a stark contrast in like you know like and dislike, he really developed. I'm gonna make my art." 
and whatever I do, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to worry about what people think about it, which I, I mean, I appreciate him for sticking to his guns and def- defending it throughout, you know, all the criticism it's had, even with the cast, but go you. It sucks that people are so poopy yeah, we're, to other people, yes. you know? Kelly Marie Tran, we on the Force Fed Sci-Fi do support you oh, and, yeah. and do think you're great. It's it, it, she definitely we, we, does. We really hope that your career continues in Hollywood. Oh yeah, and I hope it does because uh, she's not bad. She's not bad. She's an endearing individual. I feel like. Yeah. Well, Sean, did you have a red shirt? Yes, I had a red shirt. God, what red shirt didn't I have in this film? All the bombers, all the red guys that were fighting Ray. Oh, probably Snoke. Snoke was the Snoke's biggest. your red shirt. Snoke was the biggest red shirt. What a waste of life. You build up this guy for an entire film, and then, nope, surprise, he's nothing. What a waste of my time. I will question why the decision was made to kill him off. Do you really have to question it? I do question it. No, it is. there's no question. It's Johnson why saying, introduce, hey, man. Why introduce him as this shadow figure in The Force Awakens if all you're going to do is kill him off in the very next film? Because Johnson doesn't care about story continuity. He just wants to make his own vision, man, and he made it. What about you, Jeremy? Did you have a red shirt? <laughs> I know you said pick one, but I have a few. Um, a regular red shirt actually are, in my opinion, was when the bridge blows up and all the people blow out into space. Feel bad for those people. Yeah, but among oh those people was God. A- I totally un- forgot to be angry about that. Among scene. those was Admiral Akbar. Jesus, way to waste a character. Goodbye, Admiral Akbar. <laughs> do you know the actor he was like super upset on set he like thought people would like shake his hand because he was in the film and then uh ryan johnson was like oh hey do that it's a rap say it in the voice man and he the actor like literally cried because he was like i can't believe i'm getting shown such disrespect on set and they just view me as the it's a trap guy it's a trap god i always make fun of him uh since his species looks like a fish i'm always <laughs> Get me some krill. <laughs> that would have been a good life. Um, a couple others. I totally agree with you guys with Snoke. That was a, a bad decision, at least in my opinion. Um, and then uh, another disappointment was Captain Phasma. Yeah, she was uh, my pick for a red shirt. I mean, it, it's not entirely clear if she died. I'm going to assume that she did. Um, but I was hoping she would have stuck around for episode nine. Right. And Again, this is the point I mentioned earlier is that this this film and the last one just have these quick action sequences to just end. Yeah. And I was hoping for a more rowdy, cool fight between Phasma and Finn. But they couldn't because there was no relationship established. Finn should have fought Phasma on yeah. that planet. It, 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 it's just so now she's just like this random person that hates him and we don't know why. But it's there. Surprise. Chrome Dome. Yeah. I laughed when I saw that. When he said that, I, I literally laughed out. I'm like, is this real? Well, what about a lens flare? What'd you have for a lens flare, Sean? Mary Poppins, Leia, was my lens flare. Where she forces herself yes. back to life? Yes. That, that was one of the many lens flares that I had. Mary Poppins, Leia. I laughed in the. I, I, I just wanted said, her to go. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. I couldn't believe it. I was, she she opens her eyes in force. I said, "What?" In the middle of the theater, I you're in the it. cold, dead vacuum of space. How are you still alive? And she opened her eyes. And, yep, yep. That's that's just it. Thanks, Johnson. I've got uh, the Porgs. 
Oh, Porgs are my lens flare. I mean, they're cute. They provided us with a brief comical scene of Chewie eating one, and that poor little Porg just looking at him. Mm-hmm. Like it's eating his friend or something, and it just flies away. But they stop becoming cute when they start nesting in the Falcon and ripping up the seats and nesting in the wiring. Once you realize they were only made to sell toys. Yeah. <laughs> the one thing I do appreciate about that, and I watched uh, a, a short video on it, is those those were animatronics. Those were. were not uh, CGI or anything. And and that, that to me, was pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're impressive, but poorly utilized. <laughs> Just like the uh, sea cow with the green milk. Yeah. How many different colored... Different colors of milk are there in this galaxy far, far away. Right. We've had blue milk. We've had green milk. Like, doesn't anybody just have, like, white milk or chocolate milk in this galaxy? No Even idea. red milk, which I would just interpret as strawberry. Like, come on here. No Why idea. You gotta have blue milk. God. That whole sequence, man. <laughs> anyway, let's discuss the legacy of The Last Jedi. <laughs> Now, the film was still a financial success, but not nearly at the same level as seen with The Force Awakens. It was like 35% less or something Yeah, like roughly. I mean, when but when you make a film for $300 million, $1.3 billion it's still is still a lot of money. It was the highest grossing film of 2017. Mm-hmm. It was the second film after The Force Awakens to gross $100 million in a single day. Mm-hmm. So it was the fourth film in the Star Wars franchise to cross $1 billion. So pretty impressive with the franchise. Outstanding. Um, Holds an 85% rating on Metacritic and 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, but take the Rotten Tomatoes rating for what you will. Um, Received four Academy Award nominations, Best Original Score, Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Visual Effects, but it did not win any of those awards. There was was kind of a mixed bag that year with what won... Without looking at, I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, uh, did receive twelve nominations at that year's Saturn Awards and won for three of them. Hey, best actor for Mark Hamill. Hey, that's surprisingly dope. won for best writing, and won for best editing. So after this film, Disney went full steam ahead with their standalone Star Wars films. Yes, but we'll talk about the future of those films when we discuss Solo yeah. on the show. So, with all that in mind. Let's rate the film, shall we? I know what Sean is already going to give it, probably. Uh, <laughs> so on our unique scale in the Force-Fed Sci-Fi podcast of wouldn't watch, would watch, would own, and would host a viewing party, Sean, I, I kind of have a feeling what you're going to say, <laughs> but what do you give to Star Wars The Last Jedi? I'll break every copy over my knee. <laughs> I'll burn it. I'm going to burn it down. Oh, God, I feel nauseous just thinking about <laughs> watching it again. But, Jeremy, what did you think of The Last Jedi? What what, what rating do you give it? I would give this a would watch. Um, my criticisms, I you know, I, I've mentioned them on the, the show already. Uh, I don't agree with all of the new characters that were introduced and... Uh, some of them, some of the characters were written off very quickly, like we had just mentioned a little bit ago, Snoke and Captain Phasma. Um, I agree with Sean that the the pacing of this film is very sloppy. The things I appreciate about it, though, uh, great locations that they shot. I do appreciate some of the uh, deeper moments that uh, Luke shares with Ray. So I. You know, I, I I think it was too long, and 
I, I think it could have been a lot better, but I would still, I would still sit down and watch this once in a while. I think. Christopher. Well, I, I don't think this is a terrible Star Wars film. This, it seems like many in the fan base seem to think that way. I swear to God, if you host a viewing party, <laughs> <laughs> I don't Just, even know what I would do. However, there, there. I'm gonna flip this table. There are many things about it that can't be ignored. <laughs> The the humor is a bit much. Like I said, starting the film off with an elaborate mom joke is it's off to a bad start. Um, and it starts to feel like a Star Wars film after the opening scene slowly, and then it, it goes down and up. It's like watching, you know, stock prices dip down and then back up just all over the place with these moments where it feels like a Star Wars film, and then it just yanks the rug out from under us with that. Um, Jeremy, like you were saying, I, I do applaud Ryan Johnson for trying to take the series in a new direction and trying to do something different. I do think time will eventually be kinder to this film, but it had this he had these lofty expectations of trying to follow up a massively successful film like The Force Awakens, and it just didn't live up to those expectations for many people. I mean, we'll see how this film is reviewed once the Skywalker saga is all said and done and we've had the benefit of hindsight with it. I mean, we'll see. Um, like I said, I do particularly enjoy the final battle sequence. It redeems the movie slightly, but not all the way. And for that reason, I would call The Last Jedi a would watch. I thought it would be a would own for you. Wow, this is pretty crazy. I do own this film because I I do like completing series like on. So you would own. On, I do <laughs> own it now, but it's not one. Of, it's not a Star Wars film that I actively seek out and watch. I would rather watch the original films ahead of this, or the standalone films, or I'd even watch Star Wars Rebels ahead of this. Now that Disney Plus has come out, and I I continue to go down that rabbit hole Wait, every time I open that. Is that on there? Yeah, Rebels. Disney Plus has got everything. Oh my god! Yeah, I think I think it's got all the Star Wars. Yeah, it's got the Clone Wars and Rebels is on there as well. Maybe except for uh, right, the wait. Christmas special. Oh yeah, oh, the Chris. Ah, nobody that's... wants to watch the Christmas special. Maybe I want to see the Christmas special. So that that's gonna do it on this edition of the Force Fed Sci Fi. Please tune in next week as we're gonna provide our review and our take on the rise of Skywalker and the conclusion of the Skywalker saga. If you enjoyed today's episode, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five star review. It really helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Force Fed Sci Fi. You can check out and download episodes at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts. And go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. Though for all of us at the ForceFed Sci-Fi team, we'll see you next time. Force-fed sci-fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.